Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Is your company's brand feeling a little tired? Then you need to know about Schoolhouse, a brand design agency. Taking a multidisciplinary approach, Schoolhouse collaborates with evolving and emerging brands to unleash their character and express their individualism. They know the value of client relationships based on quality and trust. At Schoolhouse, it's not only what they do, it's how they do it that makes the biggest impact. Which is why Schoolhouse is focused on finding your brand truth and not just your brand story. Schoolhouse, the branding brand. Learn more at www.weareschoolhouse.com. Sign up for the Schoolhouse Weekly and follow the journey of Schoolhouse founder Christopher Skinner from former LVMH executive to entrepreneur. Again, that's www.weareschoolhouse.com to learn more. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Welcome, welcome. This is Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Thanks for tuning in today. Um, we got a new topic. I don't think there's ever topics to run out of. I don't know if you guys know this, but there was this, oh, small gathering in the middle of nowhere recently, just ended last week, called Burning Man, where 70,000 people descend on a wasteland of a place to get naked and do drugs and build crazy stuff. At least that's what I thought it was. I've never been. My brother's been. I know people have been. I'm jealous. I will not go through my life without going. 
So it was perfect timing that we are having our guest this week on the show. Our guest this week is Rosie Bon Lila. Now, first I have to say, I always do kind of pre-interviews with people. Sometimes it's a few minutes, sometimes it's long. I think Rosie and I spoke for 20 minutes before hitting the record button. She is such a great person. She's so kind, but so insightful. We kind of hit it off. We have very similar aspirations as well as just, just our energy seems to be the same. She's a public speaker. She's a communication specialist, an author, and she used to work for Burning Man. She's also gone to like 20 in a row, which is crazy, but her story behind it all. Oh, and prior to that, professional hula hooper. Yeah, you heard me right. So it's great to have people like this on the show. They bring a wide array of experiences and knowledge, and it gets all tangled in this interesting conversation. And at the end, I don't know where we went or how we got there, but I've enjoyed it and I've learned a lot. That's how I felt after speaking with Rosie on this on this interview. So we're going to cover all types of things from the Von Lila framework, which is really what she's most passionate about. It's based around how to increase citizen participant human engagement. Given her background with Burning Man and seeing how that group grew from just a few people to tens and tens of thousands and the culture that they've built around it. She just has a really great inside view on all that. Plus the other thing she's done in her background. So I'm going to just go ahead and turn it over to Rosie here. It's kind of hard to sum it up in a few minutes. That's why there's a 50 minute podcast coming up here. Thanks again for listening. We love hearing from you. And Twitter is the way to go because one, John pays attention to that. It's one of the only things I think he pays attention to. Although he's going to edit this and then he's going to be like, dude, what's up? And two, like the world can see it. We can carry on this conversation. I feel like it legitimizes things a little bit. I I don't know. Still have that beginner's complex millions of downloads later. And we still love hearing from you. Head on over to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Sign up for the newsletter. That's where we do our thing. Going to turn it over here to Rosie Von Lila. You can find her at vonlila.com v-o-n-l-i-l-a.com hope you enjoy rosie thank you so much for being on the show after talking to you you know prior to hitting the record button for 20 minutes i i can't wait to bring this conversation and bring your spirit to the audience so again thank you so much yeah it's my pleasure chris So many places to start and so many things to discuss. But the first is I heard through the grapevine that um, you were at one point a professional hula hooper, (laughs) which out of all the people I've talked to, that's the strangest and most almost interesting (laughs) profession. So please tell me. It's it's really funny that the crossover that I've I've made in the last few years. Hmm. So I I started. I grew up in California, and when I was in my late teens, I started going to Burning Man, and that led me on this very interesting journey, which was I'd always identified as being a creative and being very creative, but I'd never identified as artistic. And when I was 26, I declared, I said, I want to be an artist. And I started seeking out friends who were artists and surrounding myself with people who could inspire me in that way. And within six months, the hula hoop found me. 
And I had been a dancer for a long time and I have a, a natural skill for teaching. And so I learned how to hoop very quickly. And because of my background uh, with dance, I turned it into this form of artistry. And within a year, I started performing and I started a teaching business. So I had a, a small company and eventually built a, a team of teachers that I trained. I uh, taught all over the world. I performed around the world. And that was my life until 2011. Wow. I could We could spend the conversation there, but we won't. One of the things I do want to ask, though, is as you answer that, the first word that comes to my mind is purposeful. You know, so many people, and even if you were right or wrong, I don't think there's even an answer, but would feel that way, right? I'm artistic or I'm not, or I'm creative or I'm not. But they don't say, okay, I want to change that or I want to do something about it. Mm-hmm. What part of you said, wait, I'm not artistic, so I'm going to prove to myself in the world, whatever the reasoning was, you made a decision and did it. Yeah. I I think it's not so much about proving. That's never my intent when I take a pursuit. It's more, this is interesting. I want to do this. And I I always say that one of the, the best things that my mom ever taught me was to ask for what I want. She would always say, Rosie, ask for what you want. And so me saying, I want to be an artist is simply following my following my heart and following my spirit. And it, I ended up starting a, a, a small company with it. And that was my first time being an entrepreneur and starting a business. And as like silly or frivolous as hula hooping may seem, I started a fitness company. And from that, I learned how to do marketing. I learned how to build a brand. I learned how to build an educational platform. I learned how to build community and, and really communicate better. And so it gave me all of these skills that I now use in my work on a day-to-day basis. You know, one of the things that I found after talking to a number of people and just as importantly living my own life is that, for example, you said, oh, you know, I I learned all of these things from hula hooping regardless of how frivolous it might seem at first. And I think that one piece of advice I get from that is kind of follow what your intuition tells you a little bit on a almost a free going <laughs> basis and then optimize that opportunity. You know, I mean, think about the going into it. Somebody would say, you're going to get nothing out of this, even if you create, you know, some type of income stream, but to be able to say, Oh, it's just a stepping stone to my current uh, view of marketing and branding. That's, you know, a result that you didn't expect. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite quotes is, is well known from Steve Jobs who said, you can never connect the dots looking forward. Hmm. You can only connect them looking back. Hmm. And I would, you said about listening to your intuition a little bit, I listen to my intuition fully and I let it guide me. And, and sometimes it will take you down this path of, okay, try this. And then you try it and very quickly you realize you don't want to do it or it's time yes. to move on to something else. And so then you, you're you blown in a different direction then you try something new. And and eventually like you have to pay attention for that as a pattern that arises and, and you have to actually you know execute on some projects. But I say it is it is totally permissible to experiment and explore and try new things even if you only do them once, even if you only pursue it for a couple months. It's that whole, the whole idea of fail early, fail often. That's how I live my life now. And so many people, I feel like society says that, well, that just makes you 
like indecisive or yeah i mean so i've in even the past six years i've done probably 15 different quote-unquote projects now throughout it all there has been one pervasive one, and it's the nonprofit that I work for and have helped grow and really have gotten a tremendous amount of value from. And now the this podcast, this is another one. And both of them have gotten me to the next step. But throughout, there's everything from trying to write books, trying to speak at tech conferences to a t-shirt business. And people look at it and go, oh, you're just you know being indecisive or being foolish. Mm. And I think that's crazy. I think that you have, you must be discerning. You, it, it is necessary to prioritize. And I, I sense that you and I are similar in that there are a lot of opportunities to do a lot of different mm, things. Yes. And I think nowadays with how connected people are and how quickly information is exchanged, I think that most people face that. And it's necessary to figure out what are your priorities and then create structure around that. So for instance, I just moved to New York about almost two months ago. And I started becoming overwhelmed uh, with the number of social engagements that were happening. And so I decided to create a structure. I said, okay, I'm only going to take three coffees or three lunches per week with, with other people. Like I'm going to mm. really limit the amount of meetings that I'm taking that are outside of my, my priority work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it ebbs and flows. Like sometimes I do only limit it to three. Sometimes I take five. Like I let there be some flexibility, but the point is, is that I create awareness around it so that I am, as you said, being very deliberate. I mean, I think we dove right into some truly incredible stuff that has been learned, at least on mine, and it sounds like in yours, in the trenches. And every day is a learning experience. So uh, <laughs> thank you for that. I want to transition a little bit to a foreign world to me. So, um, kind of ever since I was 16, I was going to, oh, I'm going to go into business. I'm going to work in finance. And that was it. My brother, on the other hand, he was in drama. He went to school for film. He moved to LA, uh, was in a few movies, like small parts, you know, TV shows. Now he is a musician doing really well. Um, but he is the one that went to Burning Man Mm. a number of times. (laughs) And he has influenced me, mm-hmm. to, by, hands down. If I was on the West Coast, I'd probably go. But it is not my scene, not my culture. None of my friends have gone. Mm-hmm. I'm extremely intrigued. And given that you have gone to Burning Man 16 times, I believe it is? Yes, that's right. Let's let's talk about that. So first, tell me about your experiences with Burning Man and your background there. Sure. I I heard about it... Uh, the first year that I moved to San Francisco and I, I heard about it through a guy I was dating. I couldn't go the first year because that was when school was starting. And so after that, I, I went. And from then on, I started scheduling my classes so that they ended on Thursday so that I could go to Burning Man each August, <laughs> which is funny. And <laughs> I, I, Burning Man started to greatly shape my life and my worldview and what it did and what it does for people is it offers a platform for immense creativity. It offers a space. It offers a stage. You can create anything. You can be anything that you want to do out there. And what it that has instilled in me, that experience over the years, is it's given me tremendous creative confidence and a willingness to take risks and to try new things and to let myself become the artist that I, in 2006, declared that I wanted to be. Mm. And so that led me to, it's funny, I, I had been attending for 12 years before it ever occurred to me to work for the organization that produces the event. Because the, the way that the event is created is there's a 
highly sophisticated organization behind it that has about 70 people who work for it year-round in San Francisco. And they create this container where you don't notice that there's an organization behind it. It, it is the, all of the content is generated by the participants, the people who attend. And so I'd been going for 12 years, and someone suggested to me, they said, have you heard about the new Burning Man nonprofit? I think you should work for them. And I said, I'd love that idea. And <clears throat> going back to this idea of, of declaring what it is that you want, I then said, I want to work for Burning Man. And it was, I don't know, probably like eight months of before I was in the right place at the right time and met the right people. And uh, about a, within a year of saying that, I started working for the organization. And I contracted with them for the last three years, working for the communications department and the fundraising department and being the lead producer on the Burning Man Global Leadership Conference. For those of us that have, I mean, I, I feel like there's three types of people. One, they go, what's Burning Man? Two, which I fall into, I have some ideas and they're probably sort of misguided. And then three people who have actually gone. So could you explain what is it from, you know, the, the generic standpoint, like the mm. brochure, even though there isn't one? <laughs> <laughs> and then what is it really? I always love to hear what people's perceptions are first. So would you, would you yes. describe Burning Man to me? Okay, so it is a place in the middle of the desert with a lot of sandstorms <laughs> and um, a community where you have to bring stuff so that you can get stuff. And there's a lot of sex out in the open um, and drugs. And it's like the hippie movement in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I got. Uh... Uh, I, I would say I'm you're... being kind of facetious, but but yeah. you know, in a way, you're kind of describing describing uh, uh, the good old days. <laughs> okay, yes, there we go. So, Burning Man is an event. They don't call it a festival. It's an event that has a huge focus on art, and it started in 1986 in on a beach in San Francisco, and it started as purely a creative impulse when. When Larry Harvey called his friend and said, Hey, do you want to build a sculpture and take it down to the beach and burn it on the summer solstice? They did that. And it was just like a little small, you know, family gathering with like maybe a dozen people. They did it the next year and it kept growing. Like the next year it had like 40 people. And then the next year it had a, a, a hundred people. And then the year after that, it had like 500 people. Wow. And in 1990, the, the park rangers came and shut them down and said, you can't burn this 40 foot tall wooden sculpture on this little tiny beach. It's too dangerous. <laughs> so they ended up doing a Labor Day camp out, out in the northern part of Nevada. And the Black Rock Desert is an extraordinary place. It's an extinct lake bed. And it's one of the largest flat places on earth. It's about 400 square miles. And it, it has these exquisite mountains that surround it. And it's a, a lifeless void. There are no plants, no animals. And up until this year, there are no insects. And uh, they they had a basically 80 people went out there and made this long pilgrimage from the Bay Area out to this desert. And if you know anything about like crazy desert experiences, you know that a lot of religions have been started out of people who went out into the desert and, ah, and yes. had these had these transformative experiences. There's something about being out in in desert lands that gives you an interesting perspective on life. 
And what it has become, it's grown exponentially over the years. And the population is capped by the Bureau of Land Management uh, because this the event takes place on federal public land. And so they cap it at 70,000 people. So that's been the population for the last couple of years. And I think it was three, maybe four years ago, the event sold out for the first time. And my first year was in 2000 when the population was about 25,000 people. And now it's 70,000 people. Wow. And what it's always offered, because the landscape is so vast, it creates this canvas where you can, the only limitation to what you can do is your imagination and your resourcefulness. So people dream up these elaborate, complex projects that are extraordinary and monolithic, and they resourcefully gather people to help them and gather resources and and make these massive artworks happen. And what happens through that is communities are built. These little communities are built around their, their communal efforts, and they end up you know, like forming family. And so now there are all of these little communities all over the world who have grown up around the fact that they built some project together out in this desert. And now it's not just Burning Man, the event in Nevada. I think the organization would tell you that there is Burning Man, the event, there's Burning Man, the culture, and then there's Burning Man, the regional network. And the regional network is in, I think it's about 40 countries now. There are around 65 or 70 multi-day events that take place, and they are all organized by local people. They're not organized by the Burning Man organization in San Francisco. It sounds like it kind of follows, Is that would that be the TED conference versus TEDx and then the TED culture and all the TED brand kind of similar? It's very similar, yes. The regional events are not called, like some of them, um, the regional events are entirely a creation of that local community. And they become an official regional event by saying, we agree um, to create this event based on the, the Burning Man 10 principles. And the 10 principles describe how to create a space where Burning Man type culture can grow. And, and what is that culture, per se? It's based on generosity, creativity, and participation. And that is kind of what I did hear about it. Now, I also think I heard that there's no money exchanged. Is that true? Yes. So one of the Burning Man 10 principles is called decommodification. And it describes that Burning Man-type spaces are spaces that are free of transaction. They are free of corporate sponsorship. They are free of corporate logos. And what happens when you create a space where people are not transacting or trying to get business done is they show up as human to human, and they tend to show up in very playful, free ways. Mm. And so you, you'll find out there that people are open and welcoming, and they're there just to have fun, and have fun through a way where they're creating something that is an offering to strangers. And so you'll, you'll find people who like build bars and have, have free cocktail hours or uh, create music parties and have live music or bring DJs or they create a workshop space and they do programming for a bunch of workshops. Or you'll find I had a, a friend who was a, a, psych, a psychoanalyst 
and he had he built a a bike that had like a little umbrella and a little stool and a it pulled a lawn chair and he would ride it and then he would find a place to stop and he would set out the little stool next to the chair and then he would invite people to come for cycle analysis cycle i love it and he would he would do like dream interpretation and you know wow yeah so it whatever your specialty is out here in the 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 rest of the world during the rest of the year. Like I had a guy who was a chiropractor and he gave me a chiropractor adjustment one time out there. Mm. Like he was carrying his table around hmm. and people offering massage and, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. What do you think it is and what does it say about our national culture, perhaps global culture, that people seemingly so desperately want that human interaction, take the business away, take the transactional aspect away and leave it kind of bare bones. Mm -hmm. I think that what it says is, well, to answer that question, you have to put it in the context of what's happening in our society. And what we've seen in the last hundred plus years is a pretty large and increasing exodus of people leaving organized religion. And in that, they lose ritual, they lose community. And so you have lots of people in the world now who are looking to create meaning in their life, who are looking to connect to other humans, who are, are looking to contribute to the world. And I, I believe that, that self-actualization comes, that the highest pinnacle of it comes from contribution. It comes from recognizing that we each have value and we each are powerful creators and can give something to the world. And so what Burning Man offers is a place where anyone is welcome. It doesn't matter what your ideological views are. It doesn't matter what work you do out in the world. You can come and connect with other humans and you can find a place where you can contribute and do something creative that is new. And that contributes to growing. Man, I was just, I was really in that. I was in that experience because one of the things I often find is I don't understand. So say somebody builds, and I've heard that they do this, right? This massive structure that's up for just the Burning Man event, or, or I'm sorry, what do they call it? A gathering? Uh, they, they call it the event. The event. Oh, okay. Yes. So it's up for the event, and then it gets taken down perhaps forever, and they spent all this time in it. It, it seems so, I, I don't know, so difficult or so time intensive. I, I don't understand what comes out of it for, for the person. I mean, look, I'm not trying to sound ignorant and I'm not trying to sound shallow. I think I get it, but I, I really want to hear it from you, given your vast experience, not only attending, but being part of it. Yeah, that's an excellent question. So when I was working for the organization and doing a lot of speaking for them, I would often talk about this idea of the evolution of a burner. So a burner is, you know, someone who really identifies with the culture and it's part of the Burning Man world. And the evolution of it is most people initially come for the party, maybe for like the first or second year, they're really into the party. Although that's sort of changing nowadays, and I'll explain why in a minute. But they discover this place where there's immense generosity, immense creativity, and before they've even left, they're starting to think about what they want to do for the next year. And so then they come back the next year and they have started creating costumes or they're starting, they've gotten involved in an art project. And then the next year their ambitions grow bigger to where they start a camp or they build an art car or they, they lead a project themselves. 
and then the next year, and it, it keeps growing. Their ambitions keep growing because they're they're just pushing the edges of their creativity. And at some point, they recognize that they're putting all of this, as you said, all of this time and effort into this ephemeral event in the desert that a very limited number of people get to touch. And they start to ask the question, well, I've gained all of these skills. I have all of this knowledge now and this experience, and I have this community now. What can I do out in the rest of the world? What can I do back at home to apply these things that I've learned to make a bigger impact? Mm-hmm. And so Burning Man is is a training ground that, A, teaches people how to be decent human beings, how to be a you know, a good person who's, you know, not a jerk and who's friendly to other people. And then it teaches you to uh, push your creative limits and be of use in the world. So that's, that's why it's valuable. That's why one would go is because it is a, a radically transformative experience. Hmm. And not everybody needs that. Not everybody needs to go to Burning Man. There are regional events. There are other types of transformative experiences that I think that every human being has this desire for self-actualization, which I believe is found in how we creatively contribute to the world. And so Burning Man is a stepping stone to that. The thing that jumped out to me, and I wish I could remember the book or whatever I saw it in, but I remember something that struck me and it said, oftentimes people need a a very jarring experience to get to that next level of self-actualization or understanding or that deeper connection, whatever it might be. And mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be something bad or painful. It can be amazing, mm-hmm. but it often doesn't come in standard or bubble existence that we have been able to build for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I could see how something like this, I mean, even this is so nuts. Have you ever heard of the drug ayahuasca? Mm-hmm. I was reading about it last night because somebody told me about it. And it was this article on how I don't need to go into it. It was on Vice, but it was uh, a, a young woman's family was killed and how she took that drug and it helped her deal with it. And I was thinking there's so many ways we tr- intuitively try to get to that next level. And mm-hmm. this is just one of those outlets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things you mentioned was the generosity. And what that triggered in me is all of us do things, most of us do things on a on a semi-consistent basis out of pure generosity. I was thinking even if you have an event at your house, a cookout, a, a party, or whatever, and you in that moment, you want to make it the best thing possible. So you go buy this great meat, you get the the nice beer instead of the Bud Light, or if you're getting the Bud Light, you get so many cases <laughs> that you know everybody can have a good time. I mean, you intuitively want people to come be in your presence, you be in theirs, and then everyone enjoy themselves together. And it's not out of a, a greedy or, you know, other kind of deceitful nature, just out of, I want to be generous and, and have joy in my circle and with others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that that builds community. And that's something that many of us want. We all want human connection. And mm-hmm. we all at least subconsciously want other people to feel good in our presence. And, you know, sometimes it takes a long time to learn that, to make a choice of, oh, I I do want people to feel good in my presence. Now for a quick message from our sponsor. The Smart People Podcast is supported by Wealthfront, the automated investment service that makes it easy to invest your money the right way. 
Wealthfront software manages your money using investment strategies that were previously only available to the wealthiest investors for just one quarter of the cost of using a traditional advisor. Wealthfront monitors your account 24-7, automatically rebalancing your portfolio, reinvesting dividends, and working to maximize your after-tax returns. Wealthfront is also overseen by a team of investment experts, the same experts who launched the index fund revolution and who've written some of the most important books in finance. In case you're still not convinced, you should know that Wealthfront manages over $2 billion, with a B, dollars in client assets and has saved millions of dollars on taxes for its clients. So with Wealthfront watching over your investments every day, what will you do with all your extra time? Visit Wealthfront.com slash smart people to get your first $10,000 managed for free. Again, that's Wealthfront.com slash smart people. Get your first ten grand managed for free. Wealthfront Inc. is an SEC registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are offered through Wealthfront Brokerage Corporation, member FINRA and SIPC. This is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities. Investing in securities involves risk, and there is the possibility of losing money. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please visit Wealthfront.com to read their full disclosure. Now back to our show in normal speed. You know, that idea of community, feeling good. I I'd struggled with for a while if humans are inherently good. And uh, we interviewed somebody a long time ago and they said no. And then we interviewed somebody recently who gave me a more convincing answer, which was yes. And it starts at birth when we know that we need to connect with our family, our mother first, and then, you know, the rest of our family for survival. Mm. And so if we are bad at connecting, then we would not live. So it's hardwired in us. And yes. I know that's something that's been getting a lot of play recently, but... This is just another example of that, another clarifying circumstance of yes. how we seek connection. Yes. I've been talking recently about how the universe is neither malevolent nor benevolent. Hmm. Nature is neither. However, the universe tends to bend towards kindness because of human free will and our need to connect. With with. The Burning Man experience, what did that teach you? What did you get out of it that kept you going back, you know, 16 years working for the organization, seeing it from such an internal level in terms of culture and growth? What was the lasting effect on you? The lasting effect is recognizing that I can create almost anything that I want to create. I very much believe in being clear on what it is that you want and then asking for it. And that's how I got my job at Burning Man. I said, I want to work at Burning Man. And I very much am an active practitioner of manifestation. And, and you know, skeptics will say, well, yeah, but you're, you're, you're working your butt off to make that happen. Mm -hmm. And the, I say, yes. And you have to start out with what it is that you want. And then you talk about it with people. You talk about it through your network, through your social ecosystem, through your connections. And if you're you know, a good person who's adding value to the world, people will want to help you. And so if you have a good underlying intent that is you know, here to add value to the world, then, then people will want to help you. So I've, I very much believe in manifestation because I've had such so many uh, occurrences of asking for things that seemed out of reach and then they happen. And 
So the lasting impact is I continue to dream bigger and continue to set bigger goals and, and recognize that there's a chance that they will happen. And I do want to talk about uh, kind of the next evolution, if you will, of your professional career, the Von Lila framework. I really want to get into that. I know that'll be useful. But while we're kind of on this subject, Okay, you live in New York City. That's a far, far cry from Burning Man. <laughs> yeah. You deal with um, CEOs. You go all around the world. I mean, really, you see all types and forms of humans. How do you see humankind? It, you have a very unique perspective, and I want to pull out of you what you believe we are. Okay, well, we can go into my, my, my deep beliefs here. Yeah, why not? So what are humans? Humans are an expression of consciousness, and I believe that we co-create the world together. I am very uh, typical of the – I'm on the, the cusp of the, the upper cusp of the millennial generation and the bottom of Generation Y. And I was reading a report recently about how millennials don't – uh, follow religions. However, there are an increasing number who are spiritual and believe in the universe. And I very much sus subscribe to that. So I would say I don't use the word God in the conventional sense of God as something that's external. I believe that the universal consciousness is God. I believe that each of us is a part of God. And that's what the greatest mystical traditions of all the great religions teach us, is that we are all part of it. We are all a reflection of it. So what do I believe humans are? I believe that humans create the world that we live in. I, I believe that we're very powerful creators. I believe that we are have massive potential, every one of us, and we use so little of it. And I think that a lot of that has to do with many people not feeling that they have value in the world or that they have something to add to the world. And so my, my big dream now is uh, to stabilize climate change. And I realized that I'm doing a, a couple things related to that, but one of which is I realized that in order for that issue to be addressed, it's going to require that every human being on this planet is awakening and, and participating in a world that is regenerative and that is uh, taking care of this this little planet that we live on, you know, which is the only one that we currently have. So I created this framework that inspires people to awaken from being what I call passive consumers of life, where they are waiting for other people to create solutions. They're waiting for authorities to take care of their neighborhoods or their cities or their schools. And instead, it inspires them to become creators of solutions. And it starts by asking the question, what do I want? And then following that up with, what can I give? What can I contribute? What can I do? And the this is very much uh, based on my, my experience in Black Rock City and through Burning Man. I've, I've learned how to create participatory culture, and I know a lot about, about how that happens. And so the another element of the framework is this idea of inclusion, and so if you're wanting to create a solution for something, you have to include other people and ask them, what do you want? What do you think is in the way? What do you think the solutions are? How can, what can you contribute to get there? 
Right there, this is so interesting as you talk about how things occur in certain times. We j I just interviewed a guy, his name's Lars Zvid, and he is a serial entrepreneur, very serious guy, genuine, but, but serious. His take is the idea of decentralization. So he looked at throughout history, when were we most creative, when were we most um, innovative, and it was when people were less controlled and more decentralized into, he talked about city states and even now, uh, some ways to do that. That's, I, this keeps coming up for me because it seems like, for example, Burning Man, that's what it is. It's like, we're going to give you freedom now. You could do pretty much whatever you want. And then we tend to move towards things that are relatively good and benefit the community. And I think oftentimes, especially in the United States or in some of these larger countries or, or places, we just turn that power over to the leader or the leadership and fit into their framework. Mm -hmm. Does that resonate at all? Is that, does that the kind of idea of decentralization? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It is. God, there's so many great examples of where this shift is taking place and people are taking ownership of their lives and ownership of their experience in their local areas. I was just in Sweden and I had the opportunity to hear Muhammad Yunus speak. He won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2006. And he was talking about how charity prolongs poverty and that through charity you will never create solutions because you are not empowering humans to use their creativity. And he says that if you enable somebody with a, a loan or help them create a, some sort of opportunity to be entrepreneurial, then you are empowering them to actually exercise their capabilities as a human because then they become their own problem solver. They start to create their own solutions. And so I think that, that trying to solve issues for other people is, A, a it's ineffective. It doesn't work for the leadership because you end up with, like with an increasing population, you end up with the problem likely propagating. But if you engage the, the locals, if you ask them how they think the issue should be solved, if you invite them to be involved and take ownership in being part of the solution, then it will have a more lasting effect. It will be more impactful. You know, one of the things that keeps popping up for me is, okay, you have this lofty goal. You want to, I might not word it the same way as you, but to, to do away with climate change in a extremely short period of time. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, and so, it, and so just to, to reframe that, like when sure. we talk about climate change, like that's, that seems uh, it's difficult for people to grasp. I think that the wording that we, sh the language that we should be using is we're talking about an increased occurrence of extreme weather. Oh my gosh, that's the best way to put it. Yeah. You know why? My wife and I were walking the other day and she goes, have you heard they're already predicting the craziest winter of all time? And I said, yeah, and they're probably going to be right because everything's just getting crazy. Like it doesn't take a meteorologist or a genius to understand that it shouldn't be, you know, a drought in California, the most rain ever in Florida, the biggest hurricane every other month. It's obvious mm -hmm. and it's frustrating. Mm. But so when you think of that and I think, OK, that's great. 
there's things I want to do. And I know there's people listening thinking that too, but they go, but I have a family, I have responsibilities, I need to save for retirement for my kids' education, I need healthcare, all these things which require me to fit into this mold of modern society so that I can make my paycheck and my retirement funds and all that. How do you deal with those stressors and how do you feel like I'm working towards my greater good and not selling out? Mm. I think you have to do what you can. So one of the things that I, I say is that the framework, it implies that anyone who is capable, anyone who can help, must help. And not everyone can, but most of us can. Uh, you know, there's no one-size-fits-all. And I think that each person has to determine what's going to work best for their lives and, and look at their bandwidth. And it comes down to priorities. What are your priorities? And, and I think that it starts with intent. You know, like, what's your intention? Do you want to be part of the solution? Or do you want to continue to ignore that there is a major issue happening? Do you want to educate your children about these types of things? Or do you want to continue to go on the way that life has been lived in the, the past 100 decades? It, it, like there's, there, there are major wake-up calls. And it's, I, I struggle with this too. Like I, I am looking at myself saying, am I doing Am I taking enough action by speaking about this framework? Am I taking enough action to that end? And the answer is, by me asking this question, I think that it's going to lead to some very large project. Mm. And right now, I know that I'm on this planet to be a, a communications conduit, to inspire people to action, to inspire people to think about the bigger picture and actually take action based on their desires for what they want to see in the world. And... I've, I've had a dream of, of being a, an inspirational speaker since I was 18. And that has, you know, it's finally living out. And so I'm in this phase of living my dream. And I continue to assess, okay, what is, is there more for me to do? Is there more that I want to do? And all, all the while being appreciative and very grateful and, and loving the life that I'm living now. First of all, we talked prior to the show, you and I are very similar. I aspire to speak and share that message or share a message, one that's very core to me and that I've dealt with and I think can help others. Now, what has held me back often is this idea that I think in my head, well, of course, everybody would want to do that. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Why wouldn't you want to share your story with the world, impact others, change lives, bring value in that way? What I'm recently realizing is it's very hard for us to understand that other people think completely differently or to some degree differently than we do. Mm -hmm. And we each carry these strengths and we live as if we're the center of all things and people think the same things. So I guess I'm just saying that it helps to realize what are your strengths? What do you want to do? And then understand that that is a unique contribution. So yes, there are hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people who want to do the same thing that you're doing or I'm doing, a portion will actually put in the work to do it. And that's still a small fraction in comparison to the group that you or we can serve. Mm -hmm. I, I just think that's important for people to hear because owning their value and owning their individuality, 
then allows them to, or allows me, allows anyone, I'm not trying to preach, just allows us to to take that step as opposed to go, someone else will do it. Mm-hmm. I, I'll share a story. I A few weeks ago was at the Pentagon talking about the, having discussion about the framework. And I came back and, and told a friend about my day and she said, God, I feel like my, my work is so not important compared to what you're doing. Mm. And I told her, I said, your work is just as important. She has written a book. She educates people on this idea of, of pleasurable weight loss. Her name is Jenna Laflamme. And she, uh, what she's doing in the world is as equally important because it's opening people to loving themselves. And it's through loving ourselves that we can actually be used in the world because we recognize our value. So I, everybody has a role to play on this planet. And it starts with asking yourself, what do I want? And what can I do to that end? And not all of us have to be working on the same things, but we each need to follow our desires so that we can play the role that we're here on this planet to play, whatever that may be. Let's talk about the framework because we, I think we skipped over it and um, you can find it. Could you give your website name out? We'll do it again at the end, but where kind of people, when they want to dive in, which I'm sure they do already, um, where they can find the most about you and your framework? The website is vonlila.com. It's spelled V-O-N-L-I-L-A. And you can find me on Twitter at Rosie Von Lila. Okay. So let's talk about the framework because thus far what I have written down is want, give, contribute, and inclusion. Could you almost in your own words, since we have the creator on the line as opposed to have to read it, what is it? How do we utilize it? Sure. The framework breaks down into three categories of information. So there's attitude, there's access, and agency. And as I mentioned, the framework seeks to help people shift into this place of recognizing that they can create solutions in the world. The second thing that the framework does is it builds the human network. And I'm not talking about the human network in terms of being connected by technology, although that is a part of it. The human network is a social ecosystem. And the reason that these two things are important, the, the becoming a solutions maker and building the human network, is because we have major issues on this planet right now that we are, are threatening the survival of our species. And that may sound like hyperbolic language, but it's not. If you look at the science, we are damaging our food web and our ecosystem to a point where it may not continue to sur- like support human life. So that's a major issue. And the other reason that it's important to build the human ecosystem, human social ecosystem, is because that's how we get things done. That's how we build our businesses. That's how we work on our projects. That's how we discover new ideas. And so it looks to do those two things. So with attitude, it starts with curiosity. What do I want? What can I give? And it starts with inclusion. So if you're wanting to create a solution for a particular neighborhood, you have to include the people of that neighborhood, asking them, what do you want? What do you want to see? What do you think needs to happen? How can you help? With access, we're talking about two different things. Access to physical space. So you need places where people can convene, they can have social collisions, they can have conversations and share ideas and and talk about like ideating, basically. And the you find these types of spaces all over the world. You have companies like Google who in Tel Aviv offers a free event space for anyone 
who becomes a, a free member and would like to host an event that has anything to do with technology. And while I, I went and visited there, they had some sort of like political debate event happening. And the day prior, they had had some um, startup. And the day before that, it was some networking event. So these types of spaces, they can be free and open to the public. They can be hosted by companies. They can be places that are government-sponsored. There are all different options. At Harvard Business School, they have the Harvard Innovation Lab, which is adjacent to the, the business school. And it's open to any Harvard student, whether they're undergrad or graduate. And it's also open, I believe, to some MIT students. And it, they have a co-working space. They have an incubator. And, and it's, again, this demonstration of a place where people can come and collide and connect. So access to physical space is important. And then you also need access to information and tools. So that's access to the Internet, access to tangible tools, access to skills and education. And what's so inspiring about this point in our life is that it has never before been so easy to connect. We have never had so many tools at our fingertips to be able to do what we want to do. And so we look at, oh my gosh, we have these massive world problems. How are we ever going to solve them? How are we ever going to deal with terrorism? How are we going to deal with overpopulation? All of these major, major things. And you have to look at the context of we have so much power right in front of us that we can access, that we can connect to. So I continue to be a voice for hope and reason and being optimistic, saying we can create the solutions that we need. And lastly, the third category of information in the framework is this idea of agency. And agency comes through behaviors that we each can do. So the first behavior is inviting. And inviting is this idea of inspiring people to get involved. And the way that you do that is you say, hey, would you like to get involved in this thing? Or, hey, I saw this, this event is happening, and I know you like this topic, and I thought you might be interested. Do you want some information on it? So it's just, I, I believe that, as I said, all people want to contribute, and that's how we find self-actualization. And oftentimes, people will contribute. They just need an invitation to do so. And then the last two behaviors are connecting. So it's this idea of building the human network. And the way that you do that is, Connecting is different than networking. Networking seeks to leverage business and personal contacts so that you can develop a business pipeline that is different. Connecting requires a certain degree of emotional intelligence and social awareness where you're paying attention to your social landscape, listening to what people need, and then connecting them discerningly uh, for mutual benefit. So you meet your friend John, he's looking for a certain skill set. And you meet a woman named Anne, and she has that skill set, and she's looking for work. And you connect to them, and you don't gain anything from it, but they do. And because you're adding value to their lives and their businesses, you actually do gain something because you gain relevance within the social ecosystem. Mm. And then the last thing is translating. So anytime you're bringing different groups together or people with any kind of differences, there's a potential for friction and conflict. And so what you must have in order to make your projects happen, make your business happen, is you need someone who's going to be a translator, who, again, has a high degree of emotional intelligence and is able to ask questions like, what do each of you want, and help them find mutual ground across their differences. Well, I think you just spelled it out for us, and I really love the clarity 
that use in the framework, I think those types of um, structures at least make it seem that we can tackle the greater issues that we're presented with. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate you providing that for us. And as you mentioned, we can we can go learn more on your site, which we will link to at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Rosie, thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome. Really appreciate it. The, it again, it's the Von Lila Framework. Please tell our listeners again, where can they find you, learn about you, read your things, follow you? You can find me at vonlila.com and on Twitter at Rosie Von Lila. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, I Chris. thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, likewise. Take care. Have a great day. Bye. Bye-bye. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Rosie Von Lila, Ah, Burning Man. Burning Man, Burning Man, Burning Man. I definitely get more and more jealous of all my friends who have had the chance to experience Burning Man. And yes, I will say I'm one of those that needs to experience it. I mean, who doesn't want to build a bicycle where you can ride around and juggle and have people exchange goods for your amazing entertainment please sign me up for that i am a hundred percent in thank you again for checking out the show whether this is your first time 10th time 208th time welcome to the smart people podcast community please head over to itunes stitcher leave us a rating review comment all of that great stuff definitely helps out the show helps us continue to get guests and just brings more and more people to the show I'm going to keep this one short, but if you'd like to reach out to the show, shoot us an email at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and shoot us a message at smartpeoplepod. Lots of great stuff coming up. Make sure you stay tuned to Smart People Podcast. Subscribe if you haven't done so. Head over to smartpeoplepodcast.com to see everything going on, and we'll see you all next week.